Welcome to Tips from the Server Room. This podcast is designed for all you systems admins, network specialists, or the guys and gals out there in the office who handles it all. Sit back, relax, grab a beverage, and enjoy Tips from the Server Room. Hey guys, welcome back once again to Tips from the Serve Room. This is episode number 118 for January the 20th, 2018. I'm your host Jack and I'm going to be guiding you into, through, and back out of the worlds of systems administration, network administration, and all fields of IT. If you have a minute, please check out our website at tipsfromtheserveroom.com where you can comment on these shows. If you have any questions or ideas for future shows, please email me at jackstechcorner at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter and as at Technoman. Folks, tonight I thought I would begin a little bit with talking about um, the, the little talk we had last week. Now, I received tons of emails from you and um, I feel your pain. I hear your frustration in your voices through your emails uh, telling me that, you know, there may be an easier way to do things than what I am currently doing. If you remember last week, we talked about the uh, offline updater, the WSUS offline updater. Uh, now, I didn't start using that until obviously, um, you know, I started listening more and more and I've been following uh, the Mike Tech show and he says it's been working out rather well for him. So I take what he says and I use that, you know, in the office environment. Now, is that a great thing? Well, <coughs> is that a great thing? Well, I don't really know if it is or not. Now, many of you believe that it is not the right thing to do. And I appreciate all the criticism out there I've been receiving this week uh, from that show. But let me first start by saying that um, the, like I said, the WSUS offline updater has been working for us because of the main factor, like I said before, is we're not, you know, burning the network at all. We are doing these totally offline, and it allows my coworker to to perform this uh, feat of magic uh, using thumb drives. So it's been working out very, very well in our situation. Now, the other place that WSUS Offline uh, Updater will work for you, obviously, is if you're consulting, right? You're going out. Instead of sitting there waiting for all those updates to come down, you can run the Offline Updater on a machine while you may be doing something else for that client. It is still going to take some time. It's not like it's a, uh, a super fast or super extravagantly uh, quick way of doing things, but it just makes simple sense to be able to to do this and to use this offline updater. So <laughs> the emails I've been receiving said, hey, let me tell you, Jack, what about WSUS, uh, you know, the update server? Or what about SCCM? And that's kind of what we're going to touch base on tonight, I think, a little bit. Because, you know, we do have one of these uh, in place right now that I've been working with all week since I've been getting many of your emails saying that we may be going about this all wrong. Uh, it's working exactly as it should, but, you know, I always believe in this this phrase. I tell my workers all the time. 
work smarter, not harder. And that's where we're leaning to now. We're going to try to work smarter and not harder. Now, years ago, when I was working for a, another uh, school, I used what was called the WSUS, or the Windows Update Server. And I told you folks about that. What we did there was basically every, what is it, um, Patch Tuesday. Every Tuesday, there's new patches that come out. There's new updates that come out all the time. And those updates were scheduled to download to the server, but not to deploy. And the reason we did that, and we talked about this, I think we touched base on this a little bit last week. The reason we did that was so we can play with the updates a little bit to see if they're going to break anything. You know, we had a test machine. We would throw these updates at the test machine, and we would test those with our software to see if we were in the right ballpark. And most of the time, it really didn't hurt anything at all. And we were we were very, you know, comfortable doing that. And then we would take those updates, and we would just simply check them and allow those to push out the network and go to the machines. It was a very easy, systematic way that we did those. Um, and it worked out very, very well. Actually, as I'm talking here, I'm going to type some more notes uh, on my show notes here. But So it worked out very, very well for us to, to be able to do that and pull that off uh, using the WSUS or the Windows Update Server. Now, my current position as a director in a school, my current, uh, my current post, I guess as you would say, or the current district that I'm working with, we have available to us the SCCM, or the Microsoft Software Center Configuration Manager. Now, this is a very, very powerful utility uh, to have. Uh, it's costly, but uh, it was purchased a few years ago, so it was already in place when I walked into the district. So I sat down and I started to do a lot of research on it, a lot of work with it. Uh, we tend to do, and I told my partner this the other day, we tend to wrap ourselves around with what we know. Um, and I'll tell you a story about that is when I first started working for schools, uh, the, the school I was working with wanted to print their own report cards. Uh, they didn't print their own report cards. Believe it or not, <clears throat> they sent those out. They had those outsourced uh, with with a, with the intermediate union is what they called it. They printed all the report cards. <laughs> mailed them back, and then the school district put them in envelopes and mailed them out. And so the process of report carding uh, became very, uh, should I say, um, lengthy. That would be the word I look for. So the report carding, the ending of the report card period would happen, and the student's parents probably would not get their report cards back at least for two to three weeks. They would get their report cards after the marking periods all ended. When I started, I said, that's, that's a very unorganized process or something wrong with that process. So what I did, I went and I said, I'm going to go visit another school. And at first I got a lot of slack from the from the, uh, the superintendent at the time. I said, yeah, I don't want you to go talk to another school. I said, wait, we're all doing the same thing. We're just ed we're educating children. It's not like we're building a, a, a product and I'm trying to see what their product's doing or how to make, you know, make a GUI a graphical user interface, you know, from Xerox. No, I'm trying to go over and see how they're doing their report cards. So I went over, and when I, we were at the time using Windows Server 2000, okay? So this was a, a while back. And kind of blew me away when I walked in. I started talking to their tech director, who was a nice, you know, older lady. She used to be a teacher, uh, and she was moved up to be the uh, the 
director of the technology department, she said that they were running. I said, well, what kind of servers are you running here? You're running 2000, you know, and you're getting everything moved over. And she goes, no, we're running Windows NT 4.0. And I said, but why are you running Windows NT 4.0? Don't you know there's a lot of bugs, a lot of holes? By then it was uh, very much no longer updated. <laughs> and she told me that, well, she was going to retire in two more years, and it's what she knew. So why change now? So and that's why I wanted to bring that story to you. It shows that we do what we know how to do, or, or not, not even just what we know how to do. I think we do what we are comfortable doing, and if it worked before, it will probably work now. I was a big WSUS guy, and we don't have a Windows update server. So, you know, we took the next best thing, and we're doing the Windows offline updater, <clears throat> which seems to work very, very well, as I said. But the district I'm in now has the SCCM. So I thought, well, after receiving all those emails and getting a lot of responses back from uh, all you folks out there, and I appreciate that, uh, a lot of you mentioned the Software Center Configuration Manager, SCCM. And I thought, well, you know what, we have that, so why don't I start pursuing and start gaining knowledge on how to use this great tool that was purchased, it's already running on a server, it's already pulling down updates from Microsoft, so I might as well implement this and make sure it's going to work. And I'll tell you um, a couple drawbacks, two drawbacks that I have with it right now. First of all, when you walk into a new network and it's never happened and, and it just seems to never have has happened or never um, happened at this current location, uh, or maybe did it one time and then it gets away from you because it will happen on a big network. None of the computer systems were named to where they actually were. And that to me, you know, is, is very, very hard. It, it's very hard to be able to manage a computer if you don't know its name. All the computers in our district, um, well, let's say, let's say right now 90% of them, now maybe even 80 because we are working very diligently to get these things all switched over and it's going to take a while. But on our image, and our image comes out of SCCM. When our image is loaded, you know, because we use Pixie Boot, we load an image onto the computer. The computer name becomes the serial number or the tag number of the computer becomes the computer name. And what, what's been happening, and it's, I don't know, I guess maybe it just slipped my mind to ask. But what's been happening is... The folks that are imaging these computers and putting them into the hands of the users are not renaming them before they send them out. So they go out on the network, and next thing you know, you just have a bunch of um, uh, serial numbers or Dell tag numbers on your network. You don't know where they're at, and you're not really able to push out updates and do what you need to do in a systematic way because nothing is named properly. And that's huge, folks. If you're using SCCM or even if you're using WSUS, I would have to say that, you know, one of the key components is naming. So in SCCM, I started looking at the processes. And the processes, or um, I guess they're not really tasks, um, groups maybe. Yeah, client. I think they're called client. There's computer groups and there's user groups. So under the computer groups, there, there was a process in there named Windows 10 or Win 10. And Windows 10 pretty much covers our whole entire uh, PC network because we know everything is running Windows 10. 
and we run uh, the Windows 10 Education Edition, which most of you probably don't see, but it's basically Windows 10 Professional with you know the education tag in the lower right-hand side. I guess it allows Microsoft to be able to somehow advertise that they're you know in the education field. I don't know why that is on there, but on our lower right-hand side, down by the system clock, our computers say education. So anyway, it still costs us money. We still pay a lot of money uh, because we are part of the the volume licensing, and you know it's a great to me. That's the way to go. If you're in a big organization, because then we have you know the number of licenses we need for the whole entire campus, and so that is the version of Windows we're running. So that does work extremely well. I, I don't have a problem with that. You can push it out to all Windows 10 machines. But what I started doing was I started going out. We have actually. It's a one-to-one school district, and I don't know if I mentioned this before. So K through 5, they're using iPads. And for the iPads, we're using a program called Jamf, or some people call it Casper. I don't know if it used to be called Casper, and they renamed it Jamf. But it's extremely powerful, and it works very well for managing all the applications on the iPads. The updates, uh, you know yourself, on iPads, the updates pretty much happen on their own, so we don't have to be too concerned with that part. In grades 6 through 8, we're running the Google Chromebooks. And, we, well, not made by Google, of course. They're made by Dell. And the Google Chromebooks run the Chrome OS, or it's a cut-down version of Linux. Again, we manage those through the Google Suite. We have a Google Manager through the Google Suite. So, again, those are very easy to manage, very easy for me to uh, send out a um, an extension to those uh, computers, very easy for me to port shortcuts on their taskbars, and it's just a very simple process. So if you've turned a blind eye to Chromebooks, I would say, you know, look back a little bit. You might want to pick yourself up one and see how, at least how they work, at least how they interact and how they work. You don't have to join them to your domain. Um, you do if you're in a large-scale environment like we are. Right now we have 300 Chromebooks out. And in that environment, we have a management system on the back end. So we do manage those. So you do have to enroll them into your management, which is extremely easy. Once you do that, you put them in a group on your management console, and you could pretty much do anything you want to move those around. Think of it as a, a, a GPO or even like a group policy manager for Chromebooks. It is extremely easy again. Uh, I can't say enough about it. Um, so, and I think that's the big thing I'm getting here. When you become a technologist, when you get in the field of technology and you're working in this field for a while, and I used to have a guy that told me one time, if you buy apples for this school, I'm quitting. So on the very next budget, <clears throat> I went out and I bought a lab full of iMacs because, one, I wanted to see if he was telling me the truth, uh, which he wasn't. He stayed on anyway. And, two, I wanted to see, you know, if he had the ability to learn a new operating system, which he did, um, and it worked out very well. Now, with those Apple Macs, we did dual boot those. So we put those into a CAD lab. So we're running full CAD software on those computers. Again, it worked extremely, extremely well. So with me saying that, so now the software management is working for computers for all of our staff members, all of our teachers, 
all of our administration and from grades 9 through 12. They all have Windows 10 laptops and PCs and be what that may. So I know pretty much if I push this out for Windows 10, it's going to hit all those devices and we're going to be just fine. But I started breaking those down. We have one, two, three, four, four stationary labs. And the stationary labs have been there. I don't knock it. I think it's great to have that, that power behind them uh, to do stuff like video editing. Uh, we have two of the labs that do AutoCAD, uh, Inventor, um, all those CAD-type programs. So they have the power. They have the GPUs in them that they need to do that work. And with that said, we know that those are Windows 10. But what I wanted to do in SCCM was break it down so I could push out individual applications to those individual labs that they need. And, you know, going by the serial number, I don't have a clue what's out there. So it's been painstaking to do that. That is one part of SCCM that if it's not – if everything's not named properly in your network, it's going to take you a little bit longer to maybe set that up. So it's something to think about. Is it worth the time and effort? Absolutely. The next thing with SCCM that we've been trying to push out that I think I talked to you about this on one of the shows was the new, what they call the Google File Stream. Google Drive is dead, I told you, as of March something. And I believe my partner said March 31st or 30th, whatever the last day of the month is on March. And they're moving everybody to Google File Stream. So instead of us, you know, one at a time loading, you know, all of the laptops, which there's, you know, 300 and 400, no, let's say 400 of those floating around plus the desktops. The Chromebooks are fine and we don't have to worry about the iPads as far as I know. No, we wouldn't have to worry about the iPads because we can push it out through Jam. So I'm not really concerned with that process. But right now, the configuration manager then, I set it up. But for some reason, Google, and if anybody's from Google is listening to these shows, which you never know, can you make or create MSI files for us, the Windows installer files? Can you create those for us so us as administrators can push your applications out just a little bit easier? The file that they push out, push out for Google File Stream is an .exe file. And the doesn't you know the, the the SCCM doesn't like exe file it will push them out I mean we've had some trouble with it but I think it was one of my switches I'll tell you about that in a second and I, I'm not really sure but it was erroring out now the switches I was just telling you about is I think I marked it uh, Google file stream exe dash silent because we know when we do installs even when we used to do installs from GPO or, or GP G GPO? Yeah. Whenever we'd set up a Active Directory uh, group policy or GPO group policy to push out an application, we would put a, a script in there and it says, look, fire this script off. What that script would let you do is install things silently and that's what I was shooting for. I was shooting for a silent install. But then after looking at the error and going back and rereading my, you know, all, every page of the configuration for the SCCM for the install, I noticed right away that looking at the website that I forgot one of the dashes. It was dash dash silent instead of dash silent. And knowing that now, you can see that that's why it would not install. So I did have a, a, a 
one of our uh, technicians that was uh, sitting there with me, one of our uh, – he's actually a server server systems manager, server engineer. But we were sitting there looking at this together, and he said, well, wait a minute, Jack. He said, so if we put this in the run command, if we put it in the run command, will it work? And I said, well, I already have it installed on my desktop PC, so – We'll go find a laptop and run this and see if it'll work or does it error out. So that's what I would say. Either. Test the install or test whatever whatever commands you're using in that script or whatever switches you're using and make sure it's going to install maybe on a local test machine first. Then you can put it in there and be pretty confident. Now what I do like about SCCM though is you can go into the uh, monitoring and you can go to the applications and you can see how many uh, PCs or, or computers actually received that particular application. Or you can look at updates and see how many updates went out. You know, was it 100% successful? Did some of them fail? And then go back and find out which ones failed and then find out why they failed. So very, very, very important. The last thing I want to talk to you tonight, and this, this brings – I'm bringing this to you tonight because I had my most recent evaluation from work. And being evaluated sometimes, you know, you get a little antsy about what could I have done better, what have I done worse, what have I have done wrong. And, and it looked like I, you know, I've done pretty much my job for the past year. Uh, the evaluation went extremely well. I was very pleased with my boss and the pointers he gave me. He did ask me one thing, and this is something a lot of you can sit back and think about. Um, and I guess it's something I never think about, so I guess I didn't have a comeback right away. But one of his questions was, um, Jack, what are one of your weaknesses? And I said, you know what? I can't think of any. I don't think I have any weaknesses. Um, now, we all know we do have some weaknesses somewhere. But at the time, I really never gave it thought because we're doing our job every day and we're doing it to the best of our ability. And, you know, I keep really good notes. Um, I use Evernote. And my life is in there. Uh, I do pay for the, I don't know, the basic version. I used to buy have the premium version. I felt that was you know overkill, big waste of money. So I have the the basic version, and uh, I use it for everything. Uh, if I find a web page, I mean, I use the web clip, clipping feature, and man, I can go on and on about the program. That's why I pay for it because I use it and I believe in it. Uh, I think I've been using it since they started building it. Uh, seems like you know. 10, 15 years ago. might have been longer than that. I don't know how long I ever know it's been around. But but anyway, so I felt that I, I was doing a really good job. And I told him, I said, I don't think I have any weaknesses. So as we continued through the evaluation, he kept going through and he brought up these different pointers with me and uh, over this evaluation. And he goes, well, okay. So here's something. Here's one of the questions. He said, and I don't know this because he said, I haven't seen any of your work, uh, we use uh, SharePoint services to keep all of our documents in and everything uh, for work. And he said, I haven't seen any of this in there from you. I don't know if you do this. Maybe you do. He said, nah, what about note taking? And I said, I keep a lot of notes. I keep everything in Evernote and I have tons of notes about all the servers, about the switches. Um, you know, I have uh, web clippings on stuff I need to, to refer back to. He goes, that's wonderful. And he said, what about your, 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 your processing, your personal processes, your staff's processes? Uh, what about creating flowcharts? Do you have any flowcharts? And I said, well, look, I think we just hit on one of my weaknesses. 
you know, because I do document everything for me, what I need to know. Uh, I do document stuff that my people are doing just so I have it in case, you know, and you want to do that because if you have turnover and your people leave and you get new people, wouldn't it be nice to have, you know, their notes so you can just share it with that new person and say, look, this is what James used to do when he was here. And it seemed like it worked out pretty well for him and, and allow them to expand on it, but they can start that way. So I said, no, I don't have any flowcharts. And I don't know if you out there listening to this podcast have any flowcharts. But I started working on these, uh, obviously, after the review, because when you find a weakness, you want to fix that weakness, right? Right away. That's the kind of person I am. So right away, I want to jump on and see, how do I make a flowchart? Can I make a flowchart that makes sense? Um and think of that. Some Somebody said that one time. We were at a conference once, and somebody said, um, make a flowchart on exactly what you would do to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And it was funny with a group of – there might have been 20 people in that group. And it was really funny to me for how many different flowcharts were created to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich because obviously you can do it. Obviously, you can do it in many different steps, right? You can, you know, like get the peanut butter and jelly out first, lay your bread out, get the bag out, take the twist tie off. It all depends how detailed you want to get, but you should get detailed. Or you can go the other route, right? You can say, um, you know, get the bread out first, take the twist tie off, get the peanut butter and jelly out, get a knife. Uh, you know, some people put the jelly on first. and the peanut. You get my, You get my drift. So I sat down and I wanted to do a process. He said, do you have – the one process he asked me if I had was, do you have a process and you should probably have this in your organization. If a computer if, – if a computer – if a computer user, a person, a staff member, whoever, uh, gets fired, uh, we have students that leave the district and come in the district uh, you know, almost weekly. We have different students exchanging back and forth and you know, people getting fired from your company. Do you have a process in place that says these are the steps I would do? Because think about that. It doesn't happen. Hopefully it doesn't happen in your organization every day, uh, probably not as much as we go through it. And even when we go through it, myself and my workers both have a different view of what you should do first, what you should do second, third, and so on. So I created a process for you know um, users leaving I forget what I call it, users leaving the district, or you can say users getting fired or whatever you want to call it. It doesn't really matter. And I started creating a flowchart. But then once I got that one done, I thought, you know, it was 4.30 in the morning, you know, on a work day. I normally get up at 3 o'clock, and it was 4.30. I'm sitting at the kitchen table with a cup of coffee, and I thought, well, I'm going to go ahead and create a flowchart on creating a new user. And with us, we have Office 365 with Azure. We have our Active Directory servers. We have Google Suite. Um, we have student information systems we have to deal with. We also have um, uh, LMS or learning management systems we have to deal with. So with all these different things, then we got the computer itself. We got uh, Google Cloud printing for the Chromebooks. So with all this different stuff, I had to create a flowchart to say exactly how you would do that. You would get the user account information you know, from uh, the office staff because that's who's going to see the student first if it's a student or uh, maybe a secretary or maybe your HR department will will contact you and say, we just hired James Brown. And James Brown uh, is, is a new employee of, um, you know, um, the Merrimick Drafting Company. 
And you're going to say, okay, so – and you're going to take that information. Maybe what I do right away is I – you know, either I'm going to set the set the person up or I email it to one of my staff members and they're going to set it up. We generally will all get it and it's funny sometimes because you'll go to create the account and it will say the account's already there. So, uh, you know, people's really on it. So that's really good I guess. But anyway, so I created this flow chart to say exactly what you would do from Active Directory all the way down to issuing the person a computer and showing them how to log on the network and showing them how to get into their email. All right. Perfect. Well, it just so happened I went to one of my workers. We're sitting there, and she goes – she looks up to me and says, hey, what do you do next? I know you put them in Google Suite, uh, a new student, and I said, well, you're going to have to put them in Active Directory because they use Windows computers and, and you know whatever. And she goes, oh, really? I said, wait just a minute. Hold that thought. And I ran out. I ran back to my office. I printed out my handy-dandy flow chart. I walked in. I laid it on her keyboard, and I said, see if you can follow this. Let's beta test my flowchart. And she did. And it worked exactly as planned. So my boss, obviously that's why he's my boss. He obviously knows things that I need before I need them or before I know I needed them. Um, or he knows that I should have them and I don't have them. So, so that was my weakness. But now it's going to be one of my strengths because I typed it. The only thing I missed on that flowchart, she said at the very end, it didn't say – if it's a Chromebook to set up the Google Cloud printing, and that's going to be – and all you got to do is really type it into one of the blocks. It's very, very simplistic. And um, so do some flow charting, you know, and like I said, if you want to practice, do that. Practice on how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's just a nice little uh, a lesson you can learn on how you would actually go in and, you know, make each step or just find something you do. And flow chart it. You know, because when he first asked, Do you have any flow charts? I pointed to my head because we were in a Skype meeting. I pointed to my head and he goes, uh, Jack, yeah. But he said, But if you get hit by a school bus in the morning coming into work, uh, your head might not be available for us to dig that out. Said, you know what? That's a really good thought. Well, it's not a good thought for me if I get hit by a bus, but it's a really good thought because. You want to make sure that, you know, all of your processes, you're working very hard for a company, they're paying you a wage. You know, never try to leave it in haste. And, uh, you know, even even the last position I held, um, you know, it's the last district before I moved on, I had a whole binder I created for the network over the years of being there. And it had everything in there. Now, it didn't have any flowcharts, but it had everything in there that it needed laid out completely perfectly where somebody can walk in, open up, they do the network, the servers, password, well, not passwords in there, but you get the idea. So that is what I'm currently working on at my new post is I'm going to end up having, um, and I know you can have them digitally, and I tell everybody I do have mostly all that stuff in Evernote, um, but I also like to have a, a binder. I guess I'm old school sometimes. I just like to have that binder. Uh, because sometimes, believe it or not, uh, the internet may go out, your computer may get corrupt, hmm, a hard drive might crash. Maybe you can't get to those notes where you put those. Maybe on a file share or something happens. So it's always good to have a hard copy. And I know as much as I stress to people, don't print, don't print, don't print. There's some things in life that if all the printers break, we as you know, service technicians, as uh, you know, consulting businesses – should have something to fall back on. 
It's just something to think about. Folks, I want to sincerely thank you so much for subscribing and downloading to these shows. Uh, I appreciate doing these shows. I'm sorry I haven't been around uh, a lot. As you see, we got two back-to-back shows here last Saturday and this week. I'm going to try to post these each Saturday. It gives me a time to think through the week. Uh, maybe, as you've seen tonight, bring you some of the uh, uh, our happenings at work to you uh, as vaguely as I can. Obviously, I can't give you any details about the systems and networks, the IP addresses. But, you know, I can let you listen in a little bit about what we do at work, and hopefully that will reflect and help you in, in maybe your situations out there and uh, allow you to learn from maybe some of our mistakes, such as obviously flowcharting and SCCM. Uh, I'll probably bring you more in the SCCM in the coming weeks because, you know, I'm still digging into all that. Uh, I did get a new, I can tell you, I did get a new Cisco firewall in, so I've been programming that all week. That's been pretty exciting and uh, working on that and getting it ready to go in the rack and replace our current firewall, which is starting to become a little bit old and uh, ready to be outdated and out of the rack. Um, of course, you know, if you if you listen to me enough, and sometimes people think I'm crazy, but I often say every computer has its own little personality, and if you've worked in this business long enough, you would probably believe that. And firewalls, you know, I didn't tell the firewalls leaving yet because then it will start crapping out on you and start giving you a lot of issues. So with that said, believe it or not, that's just the way I think sometimes. Anyway, folks, thank you again for downloading and subscribing to the show. I did get a lot of emails that said, Jack, how can I support you? You know, how can I help the show out? I mean, you know, people are interested in giving back a little bit. The easiest way I would say is use the Amazon link. When you buy anything, if you go to tipsfromtheserverroom.com, make sure your ad blockers are deactivated for my website, and you'll see the Amazon link. It's probably displayed in the upper right-hand corner of the page. Click on that before you purchase anything on Amazon, and a few pennies of that sale comes back to us. It doesn't cost you anything more. And also, I went ahead and, like every podcaster in the United States, probably almost in the world at this point, has once or another set up a Patreon campaign. Now, my Patreon campaign right now has netted me absolutely zero dollars, and and that's fine. Um, I set it up because people have been asking, how can I donate to the show? That's just another way. And I did understand that they did revamp that. If you heard that big thing about Patreon where they were charging you, the donor, uh, I think $0.36 cents on a dollar. So if you if you donated a dollar a month, they were charging you $1.36. They have since revamped that because everybody was leaving Patreon. And Patreon is now um, – they are um, sucking in that administrative cost once again like they should be. And I don't know where it was. I said I would even pay it because I don't want you, the donor, to have to worry about that. But if you go to patreon.com slash Corner, you can go there and you can also donate there, however that works, a dollar a month or whatever. Every little bit helps. Folks, thank you so much again for listening, and I will talk to you next week. Take care and have a great work week, and I'll see you on the next show. Bye-bye for now. You just listened to Tips from the Server Room with your host, Jack. If you have any questions, please drop me a comment at tipsfromtheserverroom.com. Thanks again for tuning in and downloading the shows. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the remainder of the music. 
We'll see you next week on Tips from the Server Room. So long. <laughs> <laughs>